0: Okay, so um, this morning um, we gather as a community um, with thanksgiving and gratitude in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I trust that the words of the psalmist are filling our hearts. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. As we begin our time together, I'd like to reflect on three things um, this morning. And that is that God's grace is the basis for genuine thanksgiving and gratitude. I'd like to build on that a little bit um, and explore how um, God's grace then um, works its way out in gratitude and generosity. And then I'll end with um, three quick lessons from history. And when we get to the lessons from history, um, I am going to apologize for all the history buffs in here. Um, I'm going to apologize because I'm going to gloss over a bunch of stuff really quickly. I'm going to drop some names, and I'm going to drop some dates on you for reference. Um, But don't get caught up in the names and dates. Get caught up in how the church responded um, to its situation at the time. If you'd like to go deeper into the historical discussion, we can do that over um, a beverage at some other point in time. Okay you ready? Let's go. I want to reflect with me just for a moment on God's grace. When we open the Scriptures, we open the Scriptures to a remarkable story of of the man and woman being created in God's image, being placed in the garden, and then through an act of disobedience being expelled. Now again, we could unpack that for the rest of today. Um, And I would love to unpack that for the rest of the day, but we don't have time. And, um, but what I want to capture there is that once the man and the woman um, disobeyed, God expelled them from the garden. And that in itself was an act of grace. It was a grace because he did not want them to live forever in their brokenness. And so, as the man and woman moved out from the garden, we would say east of Eden, God was still caring for them and active in the world and in their lives. He was working to accomplish his purposes. And we can blow through the story of Noah, but we'll come to the story of Abraham. And Abraham, God, reaches out to him. Abraham believes God, and it is credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham, at that point in the forming of the Israelite people, was to be a people who were to be a light to the Gentiles, And if you think about that just for a moment, and we'll look at this again in a minute, that as a light to the Gentiles, they were to be the ones who welcomed the foreigner, who welcomed the outsider, and who demonstrated God's faithfulness and love to them, and engaged the nations around them with the message of light. Now, Israel did not live faithfully into its calling throughout its history. Unfortunately, they didn't become a light to the Gentiles. And so God in his time broke in, and Paul puts it this way in Galatians. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of children. Because you are children, God sent the Spirit of Son into our hearts, the Spirit who's called Abba, Father. And so though Israel did not fulfill its calling, God through Israel accomplished his purpose and the person and work of Christ, and through Christ we are adopted into God's family. That adoption should lead us to being genuinely thankful and to approach life with gratitude because of God's gracious in our lives. Because God has been gracious to us, we can be gracious to others. As you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you continually see, though, is that God's graciousness and God's generosity is, to be poured, is poured into the lives of his people and then was to be poured out through the lives of his people to others. They were to care for their own and the foreigner alike. Think about this passage with me from Leviticus to Israel. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner alike. I am your God. You see, Israel was called to be this incredibly generous people as they walked by faith. And they were to demonstrate to live out the Lord's generous generous grace they had experienced by caring for others. It was to be a visible expression that the Lord had brought them out of the land of slavery, had rescued them, and they were to care for the people around them in generosity. I think the closest I've ever experienced this is for a period of time, I served as an interim pastor for a church in Fairview, North Carolina. Fairview, North Carolina, is a rural community just outside Asheville. Now it's kind of been engulfed by Asheville, but at that time it was a farming community. And every Sunday, it was amazing. The farmers would bring all their extra produce that they had grown, and they would leave it on the doors of the church, the step, the doors to the church. And as you would come out, um, we didn't have that kind of land where you could grow food, so it was always great. Jen, I had lots of fresh vegetables. But it was left out there so people from the community could stop by and gather what was extra. They could take it. Very similar to a gleaning of the Old Testament. Left in the field for those who have need. When you read through the Old Testament too, though, what you also see is that Israel as a nation experienced judgment because of the neglect of the poor. Their neglect of the poor illustrated an absence of faith and trust in the Lord who is providing for them. So think about these words from the prophet Amos. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. In other words, in neglecting the poor, and neglecting the outsider, Israel failed to live by faith and failed to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, here's the fun part. We've experienced the overwhelming grace of God through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Through Christ and by faith, we are adopted into God's family. We experience God's generous grace every day. And as as we walk by faith, we declare together that we are not our own, but belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for our sins with his precious blood, and he has set us free from the power of the devil." He has also preserved us in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from anyone's head. Indeed, all things work together for our salvation. Therefore, by his Spirit, he assures us of eternal life and makes us humbly, willing, and ready from now on to live for him. The Apostle Paul goes on and describes God's power and love that was demonstrated in and through Christ to the church at Corinth. And he writes this, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to God. And then he then picks up on this passage later on in 2 Corinthians and says this You will be made rich in every way, so that you may be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Rich in every occasion. I don't think it's just material wealth. It's a spiritual wealth. It's a spiritual depth that allows us to engage people, to talk to people, to care well for those around us with the gospel. It's a generosity, a generosity that's a declaration of our faith and trust in God and bears witness to Christ and brings glory to God. The generosity of Christians throughout history has been amazing. It has informed the life of the church. There are many things throughout history that the church got right, and there are many things that it got wrong. I'd like to share with you three things where I think the church got it right as an inspiration to illustrate how our faith in Christ ought to inform our lives and enable us to give thanks. Are you ready? Journey with me to the fourth century. Gregory of Nazarenus, one of the Cappadocian fathers, and Cappadocian fathers are known for their work on the Trinity, but we won't go there. But Gregory, in a sermon entitled Oritation 14, isn't that a cool sermon title, offered perhaps one of the best defenses in all of church history for why the church should care for the four. Gregory in Cappadocia, which would probably be close to modern Tur- Istanbul, Turkey, between 368 and 370D oversaw the building, saw the building of the first public welfare complex and hospital, the first public welfare complex, and the first hospital ever open to the public that was free. He was inspired by his friend Basil of Caesarea. And so this complex was dedicated to the public welfare center and a hospital constructed out of the church's concern for the poor, ill, and infirmed. As Christians, when we look at our current public hospital system, we look at our current welfare system, its roots are in these Christians in the fourth century who out of concern and compassion for the poor and disenfranchised established the first public welfare system and hospital. What we enjoy today has deep roots in these people's faith. Or go with me back to the second century. Well, even first century. During the first century, the church was convinced as it is now that every person bore The image of God. In the first century, this led the church to go to the dumps outside of Rome where children were discarded because they were female or because they had some infirmity, and to rescue those children from the dumps and to raise them. They were left to die. But as early as 115 A.D., the church began establishing dedicated funds to pay for the formal release of slaves. Constantine, the first Christian emperor, in 321 granted bishops the right to use church funds to pay for the freedom of slaves and permission to grant them Roman citizenship. And it was the work... In 115 A.D., the work and the pronouncement of Constantine, the Christian emperor, that lit the long fuse that led to the abolishment of slavery 1,500 years later. It was a fuse that inspired the work of Frederick Douglass, Winston Churchill, and others that eventually ended slavery in the Western world. But it was the church's generosity and commitment to those image bearers in the first century and the second century that laid the foundation For what was to come several hundred years later. Constantine, the first Christian emperor, wasn't the perfect emperor by any stretch of the imagination. But in 313, he issued the Edict of Milan, and this is what he wrote We believe that we should give to Christians and to all men the freedom to follow religion, whichever one each should choose. Hmm. Constantine in 313 wrote that, but he was drawing on the work from the second century after Tertullian. The freedom of religion, the freedom to practice religion was an outgrowth of Constantine's conversion. A respect for others and for other religions was the outwork of, of his Christian faith. And you have to remember at that time, that if the emperor was a certain religion, everybody was that religion on the pain of death. And so as we look back through church history, again, it is the gracious work of God, the gracious work of God in people's lives that worked itself out out of concern for the poor in ways that were generous, in the ways that served the community. And so as we gather today, we have an incredible amount to be thankful for. We have things to be thankful for personally. We have things to be thankful for as a culture and as a community. We can be thankful for our welfare system that has deep roots in the Christian faith. We can be thankful for our public hospitals that are rooted in the work of Gregory and the fourth century. We have much to be thankful for the church's concern for the poor and the ongoing concern for the poor and disenfranchised in our world. And for us, we are deeply grateful and thankful for the work of Neighbors Plus that complements so much of what we do. We can be thankful for the freedom of religion and the respect that that requires, even though at times it seems to kind of not work out the way that it was envisioned. All of these things are deeply rooted in the church's concern for others and for the poor. And we continue to enjoy those benefits. Benefits as they worked out what it meant to follow Christ faithfully in their time. Yes, the church did not always get it right. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But this should never keep us from giving thanks to God for the way that he has worked throughout history and continues to work out through this community. So as a people of God, we gather and thankful for God's gracious provisions to us in Jesus Christ. We're thankful. And Jesus, as he gathered his disciples for the Passover, his disciples had no idea what was going to transpire over the next few weeks. in the same way, we actually have no idea how God is going to work through this community to touch the lives of other people in the coming weeks, in the coming season of ministry. But as Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. The disciples, I am sure, looked across the table at Jesus, perplexed. He then took the cup and he poured it out and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sins again as the disciples sat there I I just can't imagine him going what is he talking about they were perplexed the beauty of the Lord's Supper is now we stand on this side of it, it's meaning was clear it's significance is clear when Jesus instituted it, I'm not so sure Following the Passover meal, Jesus was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, he was buried, he resurrected, and he appeared to over 5,000 people, 500 people, I'm sorry, including the disciples. After his resurrection, the disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went out preaching the good news of the gospel. But it wasn't just an announcement of the good news of the gospel. As they announced the presence of the gospel, the message took root. It transformed people. It shaped their priorities. It informed how they cared for others in ways that we now benefit and which we should not take for granted. As a community, a reminder to us. As a community, we should be incredibly thankful for every person sitting here. We should thank them for their prayer, for this ministry, and for other ministries. We should thank them for their participation, their willingness to serve, to play musical instruments, to lead us, to do the work behind the scenes. We should thank them for their investment and financial gifts that make all this possible. We should be a community that is, thanks each other and cares well for each other. And as we do that, that will spill over into other relationships in our lives. And that we will meet other people with generosity. In some ways, that's as simple as buying two bags of candy for your grandkids rather than one generosity. And so Jesus is the host of this table. He invites all those who trust in him to come and to feast at this table, to come and experience grace and through the truth of the gospel be transformed. Through the sharing of the bread and wine together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, we are formed into a community who loves God, who serves together, who encourages each other, who builds each other up, who weaves with each other, who walks with each other, who limps with each other in the power of the Spirit. And through our gracious generosity among ourselves and to those in our community and around us, we bear witness to the work of Christ in our lives. And we invite people along with us to give thanks to God. I invite those who are serving to come forward now While we pray, as we partake together, let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you that in your grace that you have met us, that you have cared for us, that you have transformed us, and that you're making us into more faithful disciples of Jesus. As we partake of this bread and drink of this cup, may your Holy Spirit use it to remind us of our dependence on you and continue to transform us into the image of Christ. And may we be a people marked by generosity and thankfulness for all that you have done. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.